You may be seated and uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to read verse 12 and 13. We'll just title this message, Life and Death. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Let us pray. Holy Father, we are so grateful that we have the very eternal, infallible, inerrant Word of God that you have preserved through thousands of years for your people today that we might have the solution to our sin problem before us, that we might have daily prescriptions for us how we are to fight sin, that we might have before us, Lord, the very x-ray of our heart revealing to us the condition of our heart, Lord, and also showing us the Lord of glory, high and lifted up above all the earth. We thank you, Holy Father, for this word. We thank you for sending the Son into the world to save sinners. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your obedience to your Father. And that you were obedient unto death. We are so grateful that you were faithful to the end, and we are so grateful also, Lord Jesus, that you sent the Holy Spirit to teach us all things that we need to know for our daily living to the glory of Jesus as our Lord and King. Amen. Well, we've been going through the series on the Sermon of the Mount, and uh, we got to the section last time where we talked about mortification and uh, I just want to spend a little bit more time talking about putting sin to death if you're like me uh, you probably need more mortification more putting sin to death in your life and uh, I think it would do us well to spend a little bit more time here so I'll just ask you this question what are the main emotions that you have been feeling this past week? What are the main emotions, if you could write it down, this week that you have been experiencing in your life? I think we know what we're good at because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, after he pronounces blessings on those who are in the kingdom, and then says, except your righteousness is better than all of these Pharisees and outwardly religious people, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to then start giving us instructions on our hearts. And he goes straight to the sixth and the seventh commandment. And so we know what we're really good at. We're good at anger and lust. Angry words. Sinful judgments, murder of the heart, and lust. So he goes straight to the sixth and seventh commandments, and that's where he begins telling us that these are the things that the believer will be fighting against in their life. These are the, the things that I'm guessing, if you thought about the question I asked you, 
And that was probably true for you too. <clears throat> and so as we go over into Romans, I want to spend some time here today talking about life and death and the life of the believer. I have mentioned before that the Sermon on the Mount is the perfect sermon and the rest of the New Testament you could demonstrate are the apostles, the other writers that are just taking the Lord's sermon and further explaining it to us. And I think that is really clear in Romans and in the writings of Paul. And so I just want to talk to you today about this obligation that we have, this Christian duty of putting sin to death. So first, let's just talk about why we need to do that. And second, we'll talk about the consequences of not doing it. And then we'll talk a little bit about mortification or killing sin specifically. So the life of the believer, as we see it here in Romans chapter 8, is spirit or flesh. The life of the believer is spirit. And the Romans 8 is like the dividing line between those that are in Christ and those that are not. He says those that are after the flesh, those that are in the flesh are after the flesh, and those that are in the spirit are after the flesh. So what are you after? What are you after in life? We see that many in the world are after the world. And after the things the world tells them will make them happy. There are many in the world today that think that their identity is bound up in their sexuality. But there's some good news for us fallen sinners that are here in this hospital of lepers. Our identity is not in us. It's in Jesus Christ. And when you find your identity in Christ, it sets you free from the law of sin and death. And that's why Paul starts out chapter 8 and says, There is no condemnation on you anymore. Those that have cast their all upon Christ. Those that are fighting sin and struggling with it. The struggle with sin is evidence of life. So be encouraged. If you're fighting with sin and you hate it, only those that are in Christ can hate sin. Brothers and sisters, we are debtors to holiness. He says here, brethren, in Romans 8, 12, brethren, that's a term of endearment. Dear family, dear brothers, dear sisters, we are debtors, but not to the flesh anymore. Not to live after the flesh anymore. We have been set free from that. We are now debtors to holiness. We are debtors to kill every remnant and scrap of sin. We're debtors to kill the body of death that still remains in us. This putting sin to death and fighting sin is a work of love. And you can only do it in the power of love. This is the work of separating us more and more from this world and preparing us more and more for the eternal state that's coming. And this is what those that love Christ are engaged in. 
I keep quoting John Owen, be killing sin or sin will be killing you because that's just a perfect thing to print out and put over your door. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There is no uh, peace treaty with sin. There is never a lull in the battle. If, the, if you feel like there's a lull in the battle, it's just so the enemy might lull you to sleep so he can lay hold of you. And so we are to be putting sin to death. We are debtors to do this. We're obliged by love. We no longer owe sin anything. Back in Romans 6, Paul's began this discussion of being set free. The just shall live by faith. And that is the theme of Romans. And faith is this great, wonderful gift of grace that we are given, which is really the love of God in our heart, where we love Him now. And that love is what drives us and motivates us in our life. It's the love that gets us up in the morning and that puts us to bed at night. And Paul, speaking of this great faith, now comes to us and pressing upon you, believer says, what shall we say about this wonderful grace that set us free? What shall we say to this? Shall we keep sinning so that grace might just increase? Which is what Paul had been accused of. Paul says, you're, you're teaching this free grace. And Paul, you're just teaching people that they can just keep on sinning. And Paul says, no, I'm not. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There's life and death. Life and death. Daily before you, believer, is life and death. And he would go on there and say, if you've been born into Christ, don't you know that when you were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit, that you were baptized into his death? That means your sin nature was nailed to that tree. And the power of sin was broken in your life. So that you can overcome these predominant Emotions that we're prone to. Anger and lust. There is this sense where when we are in Christ, what happened 2,000 years ago on the cross, there's a spiritual transaction that took place and those that are born in the Spirit, that sin nature was crucified with Christ. And we've been set free from the power of sin, but not yet its presence. And I know that's what we struggle with a lot of us. Like, God, why do I have to get up every day and struggle with this? Why, Lord, did you leave it? And I don't know all the answers to that, but I can tell you this. To show that Christ is more precious than sin. Because where we love Christ and where you love Christ, you will fight this sin and you will show to the world Christ is more precious than anger and lust. He is worthy of me doing whatever it takes to put this sin to death. As Christ said, plucking it out and cutting it off. And so this old nature was crucified with him and we now, being dead with Christ, believe that we shall also live with him. As Christ was resurrected, that was the first fruits of the resurrection. And when we are born into Christ, 
We are raised from the dead spiritually to this newness of life. And so there we come to the first command in all of Romans. The first command happens there in Romans 6.11. That's you are to reckon or to consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. That's a meditation. The first command is for you to reckon, consider, to think on that, meditate on that. Make it part of your thinking and your life. You get up in the morning, I'm dead to sin today. I'm alive to God in Christ. Father, help me live that out today. We are debtors to holiness. So why are we to be putting sin to death? Because indwelling sin remains within us while we are in this world. And therefore, we are always to be about the killing of it. We are free from its condemning power. And you see that Romans 8.1 is such a great rock to stand on. There is therefore now no condemnation. That sets you free from the guilt of sin. The power of sin is guilt and the fear of death. And we're set free from that. There is no condemnation. And from that springboard, that promise and that reality, no condemnation. Every day you can get up, no condemnation. Regardless, even if you've fallen and you struggled the day before, you can get up this day and say, God, I repent. Help me to fight sin today there's no condemnation i'm set free from that guilt that's the law of liberty in james being set free from the power and the guilt of sin so this indwelling sin remains in us and it's always active and so we must always be active in the killing of it paul said in romans 7 we move from romans 6 to 7 he's still dealing with this sin this indwelling sin and the reality of sin. And he's finished up chapter 6 saying the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul would say there in verse 21 of 7. I find then a law that when I would do good. Evil is present with me. And he has been talking about this real struggle using present tense verbs in his life as the apostle. He's saying there's, there's times that this nature warring against the law of my mind brings me into captivity to the law of sin. And I'm fighting that and I hate it. And... Again, a person that's not born of the Spirit will not hate sin. They love it. And I know that sin, there is real pleasure in sin. There is. That's the allurement of it. If there were no pleasure in it, there would be no allurement. But let me tell you something. In Christ, in holiness, there's a greater pleasure. And that is the pleasure that allows us to conquer Sinful pleasures, temptations, is by tasting the deeper pleasures of the spiritual reality of holiness. Paul said, I find a law that when I would do good, evil is still present with me. 
He goes on and says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Paul had the delight. That was that delight of the Holy Spirit indwelling, being in Christ Jesus. But I see another law in 723. I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And immediately he says, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ, I am set free from that body of death. So we're set free from the power of sin, but not yet its presence, so that we might show forth to the world, to our families, to our husbands and wives, I love Christ more than this sin. I'm going to fight it to the death. Till death do its part, I will fight this sin. And I stand upon the blood of Jesus Christ, His crucifixion at the cross, and so this sin, brothers and sisters, will always be troubling, striving, rebelling, and disquieting us if it's left alone. So we must be fighting it, or it will bring forth scandalous sins. We always have to remember, those which habitually bring forth the fruits of the flesh, and by that I mean habitually, daily, weekly, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He tells us that in Galatians 5, after he's listed the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the flesh, he says that in Ephesians, many places it is very clear, if you're in Christ, you'll bring forth spiritual fruit. If you're not, you'll bring forth the fruits of death and suffer the consequences of death. So those are some of the reasons why we must be fighting sin because it's always with us and we've got to stay on top of it. This is not easy. This is the daily fight of faith. This is the reality of the Christian life and walk. Uh, some of the greatest heresies we have of our day is the heresy that teaches if you come to Jesus, everything's going to get better. Uh, now it does get better I believe there is joy and peace and happiness in Christ that the world does not know. But there's a big difference between a worldly happiness and being happy in Christ. There's a lot of people in the world that think they're happy because of what they have, the comforts of American life. But there's a difference between true spiritual joy and an outward happiness. Those that have everything the world has to offer cannot be happy in their core because they have a guilty conscience and nothing. They might be able to sear that. They might be able to cover it up with drugs, alcohol. They might be able to cover that up by just keeping their brain disengaged from reality and engaged in a constant stream of information. But the guilty conscience is still there. Isn't that great to be set free from the guilty conscience? Isn't that one of the greatest blessings we have? And there's nothing that's more grievous to a child of God than to have a guilty conscience. Oh, the pain of the guilty conscience. Which, again, causes us to flee across anew. And to pray, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a, a right spirit within me. Well, secondly, there are consequences that we must always remember. Consequences of sin. 
You must understand and know yourself. You must understand your own heart. And you must think about your life. And you must think about the consequences that you've had in the past to sin. They say the definition of insanity is committing the same mistakes over and over again and not making any changes. That's misery. Banging your head against the wall and never making any changes. The consequences of sin... We must understand, and to understand that, you've got to understand the plague of your own heart, what your own besetting sins are, what am I prone to? Well, we know Christ says we're prone to anger and lust, so covetousness, angry words, unforgiveness, bitterness, we must know what that is, and everybody's prone to something. I come from an Irish background, there's a bunch of Irish drunks in my family. And so I had those same besetting sins in my life. And once I was born of the Spirit, God put those to death overnight in my life. Uh, I've had, I had a few struggles early on. And that, you know, for every person, again, that's going to be different. But the power of that sin was broken, truly broken. If you live after the flesh, you will die. He tells us here in this verse in Romans 8. If you live after the flesh, you will die. There are a thousand deaths that come in the life of people through sin. Have you ever suffered any small deaths? Now, there's a big death. There's the death of your mortal body and there's eternal death. And and sin leads to all of that. But even in the life of the believer, there's some little deaths that come along the way. That can happen. It's possible for a believer to be caught up in a scandal of sin that could cause the death of relationships in their life and their family. It could cause the death of a marriage. It could cause the death of a relationship with a child. Sin causes deaths in relationships. Ultimately, sin causes the death in our relationship with our loving Father, who Christ came to restore us into that precious relationship. If we live habitually after the flesh, we're just living in a state of death and misery. One of the saddest things about living in that state is to be in that state of death and not even know it. I'm so grateful that God has born us into the Spirit who has made us alive in Christ Jesus. Who has birthed us. Let me get it right. Birthed us into the spirit. The the new birth. So that we now know what sin tastes like. Really tastes like. The death of sin. Let me tell you. It's a blessing to know that death now. And Paul back in Romans chapter 2. and He's talking about the fact that if we judge ourselves before we get to the judgment. That's a good thing. So let's be judging our sins now. And repenting of it. Before we get to the judgment seat, isn't that good that God awakens us to the bitterness of sin so that we can deal with it now in Christ Jesus? Can you point to a time or a season in your life when you were not in Christ? 
I know that's different also for some. Some people have blinding light shows like the Apostle Paul, and some don't. But still, there is a season. I didn't have the blinding light show, but there was a season when I remember my heart's desires were changed over the course of about a year. Can you remember that? I know there's some who come to faith young in life, and that's not as clear, but I think it'll even be in their life. If you've read Elsie Dinsmore books, one of the beautiful things Martha Finley does is she shows, shows the difference between a child that's born of the Spirit and a child that's not. Those are things I think we consider and think about. Remember what sin used to be like and remember what it is now. So we think about consequences. What have some of the consequences been in your life that you've had to suffer? In Ephesians 2, he tells us, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you hath he quickened who were. There's the past tense. Were dead in trespasses and sins. Because in the past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And we all lived just like that before Christ. We were in the same boat. Everybody in the human race is in the same boat. Unless Christ intervened. And separate us from that. We were dead in sins and Christ quickened us. By his grace we are saved. And from that time forward. We didn't walk after the flesh anymore. But after the spirit. Even though from time to time. It's like leprosy breaks out. Time to time we get sick. Don't we? There's time to time that disease breaks out in our body. And we feel bad. And that's a blessing also because if you're never sick, you don't know what the blessing of health is. And whenever that happens in us, we can think about the spiritual disease that still remains within us. And from time to time, that spiritual disease will break out. That leprosy will break out and remind us of the great benefit of health in Christ Jesus there's times if we start walking careless in our life, a loving father might look at you and say, well, it looks like you think you got this. You, you think you got this? All right. Here, I'll give you one day. And he'll pull his hand back just a little bit. And what happens when the Lord removes his hand? We drop like a rock. And we forget, I'm enriched by this Holy Spirit living within me and everything. And when he withdraws his spirit, I don't have wisdom. I don't have understanding. I feel bad. Even my bodily strength is weaker. And we taste those consequences. And it's a loving father that will afflict us sometimes by letting our indwelling sin afflict us. That can be a rod of correction coming from the father that spanks us and says, Wake up, my son. Remember how bad this tastes. Don't forget that. Boy, I tell you, we live in the moment, don't we? We're creatures of right now. And we have short memories, don't we? Oh, I wish my memory wasn't so short. 
But I also know that there's a good thing about our memories being short because the agony of sin sometimes, if we stayed in that place, our spirit would be broken. And gratefully, we get to taste the healing benefit of Christ as we cry out with David in Psalms 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Wash me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. I shall be whiter than snow. Didn't we just sing that? I love the, the hymn writer in that song. He's amazed. Can this be so? Somebody like me? How is it that I could be washed whiter than snow? And so we must remember the consequences of sin. For to be carnally minded is death. He says there in Romans 8, 6. To be carnally minded, fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Do you want more life and peace? How spiritually minded are you? How do you start your day? If you feed your body nothing but junk food your whole life, you'll probably have to have bypass surgery and different things going on. How well are you taking care of your spiritual health? Your spiritual arteries can get clogged depending on what you're putting into your spiritual body. To be carnally minded is death. Spiritual mindedness is life and peace. To be healthy, to have life and peace is to feed your mind with the Word of God. Start the day in the Word. It sounds so simple, and you know preachers say this again and again, but it's, it's not always easy, is it? You get up, the alarm goes off, you get up late, you got to rush to work. There's going to be days like that. And in days like that, you can remember how sweet it is to start the day with a good 30 minutes with a cup of coffee and the Word of God in prayer. To be like Daniel and maybe even take a break at lunch, walk outside, spend some time in the Word of God and prayer. To be carnally minded is death. The consequences of sin are death. It's a real death, little deaths that we experience now in our day-to-day -day life. And without God's intervention, there would be a future eternal death. Though that's so to the flesh, Galatians 6, 8. There are consequences to sowing to the flesh. Though that sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But they that sow to the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit life everlasting. Simple principle, isn't it? Reap, sow. So, read. What are you sowing? The more you sow spiritual things into your heart and mind and soul, the more you will have these emotions of your heart under control. The emotions that are prone to anger and lust. The consequences are death. James would tell us there in James 1.14, everyone is tempted when they're drawn away of their own lust. And enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Are you tired of the death that sin is bringing to your life? Are you someone, maybe today, that's here, and you're tired of the death of the sin that's bringing to your life? The death to your relationships. Death to the peace and joy that you know is in Christ Jesus that you've tasted before. Or maybe you've never tasted that. 
Well, the, the Spirit is here today saying, come unto me. Come to Christ. If you're weary and heavy laden, come to Christ. And I would tell you that's not an invite, that's a command. If you're Christ's child, come to Christ. Take his yoke upon you. Because he is meek and lowly and you shall find rest for your souls. And so there are times that even in believers, sin brings forth consequences, though they be not eternal, that remind us again and again, sin is real, sin is awful, the exceeding sinfulness of sin brings forth death, and that it is only in Christ that we can be set free from that. It's only fighting with Christ and the promises of Christ that we can grow in grace. And, I, and I'll tell you this. There is a trajectory of growing over the period of life. I wish I knew the things now at 62. I wish I knew these things when I was 20. Or 30 even. And even 40. I am a slow learner. I wish I'd learned things a lot faster. I'm just rather hard-headed. But I'll tell you the joy. Now after walking with Christ for 30 years since I was 32. i tell you the joy is growing. The victory over sin is growing. And I'll tell you, I think for believers we will sin less over the course of our life. But even a little sin is worse now to me than it was when I was 30. It's more bitter now than it's ever been. As I get closer to the other side of glory, as I get closer to seeing Christ face to face, and I understand this is a temporary world, it's only 70 years, 80 years maybe. This is short term. There's a, a bigger picture. All of those that are in Christ, you are being prepared for an eternal dwelling, an eternal reality. And this is the hope that says, okay, what's fighting sin for 70 years if I'm going to live forever with Christ? These are the promises that we use these to fight sin now. Praise God for His mercy and that we've been delivered from eternal death. Mortification, the third thing, just we talked about that a little bit. Mortification just means death, putting something to dead, killing it. We have morticians that deal with dead bodies. Uh, in Scripture, it's the act of subduing our passions and appetites by abstinence, by uh, whatever it takes. Painful severities of the body. Christ said plucking out and cutting off. That's pretty severe. Fasting and praying. You can go back and look at Sodom and Gomorrah and you can see that the appetite is linked with not being able to keep the bodily appetite under leaks out into sexual appetites. We've looked at that before. And so... We're body, mind, and spirit. We have to bring our appetites in subjection. We have to kill those appetites that might be going out after things they should not. Self-denial is not ultimate. When Christ said, come up, take your cross after you, put yourself to death and follow Christ, we are doing that. It's a real self-denial. But we get something in return that's so much better, don't we? We get the promise in Christ. We get the hope of Christ. We get the washing of the conscience. 
being set free from a guilty conscience. We have the joy and peace in believing. We have the fellowship of the saints and the body. There, there's so many things that we get that are, that are so much better through self-denial. And that self-denial is the dial of these sinful passions. And so we put to death these things. God appoints means and ends. And the effect of spiritual life in the soul of man is mortification. So what is holiness or trying to be holy in life? It's mortification. It's putting to death sin so that we might experience more and more of God's grace and joy and peace. That we might be more like Christ. Uh, I think I may have mentioned hearing about these vandals recently that went into a museum over in Europe. And they took, a guy took a hammer to one of these valuable sculptures and hammered it and, and broke it, you know. And, uh, and, of course, he was subdued by some people. Well, that's every one of us. Satan took the hammer to us. And that whole image of God in us that we were made in in the beginning has been damaged and disfigured. And so they bring in a team of experts over there in that museum to restore that image. That's what Christ is doing in you now. And sometimes some things got to be cut off before the sculpture can be made right. So he is restoring you to the image of Christ. We are being made like Christ in character image. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9.27, part of this killing sin, he says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. He brings it under Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So the body must be brought under subjection. And that's not easy, Americans, is it? When you can go get fast food and complain that it takes too long, right? We have so many things that cater to us and cater to our flesh. And we must be aware of that. And those that are Christ, Galatians 5.24, if you're Christ, you have, it says that you have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Past tense. This is something that has been done on the cross and we are doing even now, day to day. Thomas Watson uh, wrote back in 1669 about this bosom traitor, he called it, the flesh. He said, it's like the Trojan horse within the walls which does mischief. The flesh is a sly enemy. It kills by embracing. The embraces of the flesh are like ivy wrapped around an oak tree that's sucking the strength out of the oak tree into its own leaves and berries. So the flesh with its soft embraces sucks out the heart of what is good in us. He goes on and says, the pampering of the flesh is like, is the quenching of God's spirit. Pampering of the flesh. You ever hear of me time? All of these things that have come out of our society, I need me time, I need, you know, this or that. Uh, on the website at work, there was, you know, the, the website said, where you went to get your benefits information, it says, all about me. Well, it's not all about us. It's all about Him. 
And that's why we're here today. This is about Him, brothers and sisters. This is about the King of glory. This is about the one who came and lived and died for us so that we might be restored to be what we were meant to be. Even in the best of saints, in doing all that we can, sin will still fasten roots in us from time to time. And so we got to put it to death. Well, how do I do that? Just some practical instruction. How do you keep a fire from burning? You got to remove the fuel from the fire. Any fireman that goes to fire school, some of the things they learn is they learn about cause and effect, is they learn about what's in the environment that's fueling the fire. Is there a gas leak? Is there a can of gas that's uncovered and there's fumes? So also, what is there in your environment that may be feeding the fires of lust or anger? You've got to withdraw the fuel that makes it burn in order to put it out. We have to use spiritual weapons, faith and prayer. I highly recommend, here's some books for you. You want to put sin to death? You can listen to The Mortification of Sin by John Owen on the app LibriVox. You can listen to it again and again and again. And uh, I highly recommend it. You can uh, listen to uh, tape series. How many tools do we have available through technology? Technology can be part of the environment that might be feeding it, but it can also be part of the putting it to death if we use it right. So withdraw the fuel and then feed your spirit. Feed your spirit. Samson's strength lay in his hair. Our strength lays in our head. The head, Jesus Christ. You always have to remember... That we are the body of Christ. If you be in Christ, uh, it's like the illustration of Pastor used one time. He said, when you're in the swimming pool and you have uh, all your hands and your legs underneath water, will they drown? Not as long as your head's above water. Your head is above water in a place where he can never be touched or assailed. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Think of that image. Use that in your fight of faith. My head, Jesus Christ, is seated at the right hand of God. And the scriptures tell me because he was raised and perfected, I will be too one day. This putting sin to death is something you do. It says if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. Now we have the indwelling spirit given to us to help us in this. In fact, we could never do it if it wasn't for the spirit that dwells in And so if you, through the spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. This is proceeding from the new principle, the new power of the new life. Sin will not kill itself. You must be killing sin. So we cut off its supply lines. Just like in wartime. The first thing 
the enemy does is try to cut off the supply lines. You must have strategy in your war. Read the Christian in complete armor by uh, William Gurnall, where he goes through in a huge volume talking about how to put on the armor of God, how to wield the sword of the Spirit, how to use this armor in this fight of faith. And remember, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is the place we must keep our heart. If you be risen with Christ, what? Set your affections on those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Not on things on the earth. Brothers and sisters, we have a heart. I said this Wednesday night. I'm going to keep telling you all this because I just think this is where the crux of our life is. Our hearts were designed to love. You're going to love something. It's impossible for me to sit here and to reason with somebody who's not born of the Spirit to stop loving the world. It's impossible for them to not love the world. Because the world must be filled with something. It must love something. It's only when Christ comes and our eyes are open to see the most glorious and beautiful of all, Jesus Christ the righteous, that this better affection and better desire drives out the love of the world. That's where I hope every one of you are, that you're in that place where you have that better desire and better affection. And I pray if you've never had that, the Holy Spirit would fall on you even now and transform you and that you would come to see Christ and all His beauty and all His glory so that you might be successful in fighting this sin. That there would be a greater love, a greater affection that you could set your eyes on where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. And that would give you the drive and the fuel and the power to be able to fight sin with zeal. We have great promises all over the scriptures to help us in this. I'll leave you with the story of David Livingston. In Harold Sala's book, Heroes, he talks about David Livingston who faced great loneliness in Africa after the death of his wife, After 16 years in Africa, he returned to a lecture in Glasgow, Scotland. One of his arms was useless because of a lion attack. His body was wasted after 27 bouts with malaria. His face was full of wrinkles from the wear and tear of daily living, living dead to the world. And there was a hush that crept over the students as he spoke. He said, Shall I tell you what sustained me amidst the trials and hardships and loneliness of my exiled life? It was a promise. The promise of a gentleman of the most sacred honor. It was this promise 
Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. At Livingston's death, his body was found bent in prayer, kneeling at his bed. His Bible opened to Matthew 28. And in the margin was the small note, the promise of a gentleman. Wouldn't you like to go out like that? His promises can be trusted. You can trust him in this long, lifelong battle against sin. You can come to Christ just as you are. Just as I am without one plea. I didn't have a single plea. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. And that you say, come to me. So in the weariness of this fight of sin, which is daily, I encourage you with these things that you would continue in that fight of, fight, fight of faith because Christ is worthy of everything you got. And His promises can be trusted. May God bless His word.